Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlosita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my genius co-host, Mina Kunlosita. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. Well, I'm calling you a genius today because we are just so fortunate to have an incredible guest on. I am a huge fan of hers. We have Melina Palmer from The Brainy Business, and she also is the host of The Brainy Business Podcast. Welcome, Melina. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. We're so excited. We were just pre-talking about all the things, um, all the things brain and all your knowledge. And like I said, I'm a fan of your podcast and I love what you do. So let's jump in. So Melina, you are um, an expert on behavioral economics. So could you share with our listeners what behavioral economics is? Absolutely. It is something that sounds really boring, but I promise it's not. So um, behavioral economics is essentially, I like to say that if traditional economics and psychology had a baby, we would end up with behavioral economics. And the reason that it came about is because traditional economics had a problem in that its models were built on assumptions of logical people making rational choices. And unfortunately, that is not the world that we live in. Instead, we are humans and our brains make really illogical and irrational decisions all of the time. And so economists and psychologists started working together or entering into one another's fields, trying to find if there were these threads or concepts in the way that the brain actually makes decisions that could be used to more accurately predict behavior. And the good news is there are. While we're not logical creatures, we are very predictable. And that is essentially the study of behavioral economics. And what I do is help businesses and people in general to uh, understand how the brain actually works and make decisions and how you can use that in your business to be more effective and speak to the way the brain is going to make a choice. Incredible. So um, I know that you've traveled recently um, to a school. I don't know the details exactly. I've listened to you talk about it, but you're definitely on the forefront of this new field of behavioral economics. Oh, we're the Human Behavior Laboratory at... Texas A&M. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about this because obviously they invited you there to sort of see their research. And um, like, how did you find yourself here? Well, so I found myself in behavioral economics in general because in my undergrad, which is in marketing, I w- there was just one little tiny blip in one class that was about the psychology of buying and consumer decision making. And I knew that that was what I wanted to study and you know dedicate my career to, but it, it didn't exist. It wasn't a field yet. And I spent the better part of 10 years trying to find something. And then uh, about two 
years ago, a little bit more, you know, found this behavioral economics and uh, program and pursued my master's in that and everything moving forward and really quickly realized, I thought, I knew I was going to be at the beginning of this field, you know, on the forefront, but I figured there were some other people that would be showing how this works for, for businesses, for marketing, you know, on a bigger scale and for brands and really quickly realized that was not the case. There was nobody there yet. And so, you know, basically said, well, I guess it's on me to be the first. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. And I started the podcast and revamped my company to really focus on, you know, working one-on-one with businesses in this way, but also helping people just on a grander scale to understand what behavioral economics is and why it matters. Because even though we have brains, you know, whether you understand this or not, it's impacting your business every day in really every action that you're taking and that your current and prospective customers are making as well, because it's how our brain makes all of its decisions. So that's really important. So the folks at the Human Behavior Lab at Texas A&M had found the podcast and been listening and love it. And they had let me know that, you know, they have all the postdocs listening to it and they're all big fans. And so invited me to come down and we're potentially going to do some research projects together. And I have an opportunity to let, you know, some of my clients work with them on research, uh, which is really exciting. So I really am looking forward to what happens there. But they do the they put on like the EEG scanners so they can check what's going on in your brain. And I got to try on these special glasses that can track your eye movements and can look at websites to see where somebody's looking and in a television advertisement where someone looking, if someone goes into a physical location and based on brain scans, they say they can predict with 84% accuracy if someone will buy or not without having to ask them at all, just based on their brain activity. That's awesome. Um, right. If you ever need guinea pigs, we we can <laughs> offer some businesses for you guys to track on accuracy and predictions for buying. Yeah. <laughs> so Sounds good. I know I've got a treasure trove of. Uh, <laughs> so bringing that up, like um, in fashion, I know I've I've I don't know if I read it or listened to it somewhere, but they're also trying to do that in in retail stores. So where they're trying to update the technology where you'll be able to sort of walk by a shelf and their scanners to kind of know what you're, what you're thinking, where you're looking. And then they're going to, they're almost going to advertise to you within the store. So like, as you walk by something, it shifts to something that you're looking for or something that applies, which, you know, some people freak out about. I actually wouldn't mind it sometimes. I'm like, yeah, let's cut through the, and like, tell me what I need. Right. right. But my husband also has done that test, like talking about cat food a lot next to his, um, his phone. (laughs) And like, if you talk about it and then all of a sudden you start to see these ads or like by your phone. So, but yeah, it's really interesting what they'll they'll be able to do in physical space and like how to interpret buying patterns and how to sell to people. Absolutely. I have a background in financial institutions and in banking and you were talking about years ago, the technology of if somebody walks in and knowing it's, it's tracking on your phone, who you are and being able to say, you know, you probably are looking for a loan for a minivan or you want a home equity loan or, you know, and it's advertising based on you, um, which is definitely some cool technology that's available. But, you know, when you have websites and things like that, and you're not really sure, is somebody looking here? Are they not? Is this picture I've put up, is it helpful or is it distracting? Where is the attention going? That's all the sort of stuff that can be tracked, you know, through this technology. And then you can say, well, this thing over here is where attention is going, which either becomes, we should put the message right above the picture of the dog you have over here, 
or let's just get rid of the dog. It's too distracting and change up the image in the background, you know, something like that. Amazing. And you do that right now for clients though. Like we don't need the virtual, but people can actually send you like their websites or sales pages and you can actually go through it and analyze and say like what the best way to lay something out is, right? Right. So I work with um, clients. So we would do a strategy session up front so that I know what you're actually trying to achieve. (laughs) Because I could just spew information all day long of what I think you should do, but hopefully it's going to help you achieve your goals. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's... Same over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yes. So you can send information and I can give tips based on behavioral economics because there are so many concepts that come into play. I go into a bunch of them on the podcast, but knowing how they... Um, interplay with each other, how, what you're wanting to try, how that works, and how you can really be best appealing to the subconscious brain, which makes the majority of our buying decisions. I, if it's okay for me to do just a, cl- a quick little blip on how the subconscious versus conscious brain sure. works with the audience, yeah. yeah? So I know that Jacqueline, you at least know this because uh, you've seen me do a presentation before, but um, I don't know, Mina, if you've heard me talk about this on the podcast, but we know about our conscious brains, right? We know what they, um, how they work essentially, but anything you can think about thinking, anytime you relate to something your brain does, that's your conscious brain at work. We know we have a subconscious. We know it does something, but we don't really know, you know how much or, or what it's doing from day to day. So, But if you were to guess of what percentage of your brain's processing is done on a subconscious level, what do you, where do you think that would be? Do you think that's like 25%, 50 75 Are you asking me, Melina? Yeah, because yeah, I kind of know the um, answer. I feel like it would be more like 80 So, and hopefully the audience, you know, played along as well on this. (laughs) So the highest study that I've seen has this at 99.999%. Oh my God. What am I doing? Uh, Who am I? (laughs) Uh, Yes. So the lowest study that I've seen on this is at 95%. So any naysayers in the world is still really high. And I just for ease, go with this 99 and 1%. So if 99% of your decisions are being made by your subconscious, you don't really know what it's doing. And it doesn't talk very well to your conscious brain. It's driven, it's very visually driven, it's driven by rewards, and it is very much making all of its decisions using rules of thumb. So things that have worked before, it's then using that rule to apply to what it sees around it. I like to think about the subconscious brain like the gatekeeper or a receptionist, if you've ever tried to like access someone in a, in a company where it's um, basically scanning the world around you and saying, normal, 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 normal. I have a rule for that. Normal, normal. Hey, that's weird. Conscious brain, you should go do something now. You should put your attention over here. And that's where we think, oh, we, we're doing all these things. I'm going to step up. I'm going to do this task, whatever. But your subconscious is scanning your environment all the time and making all these decisions that you don't necessarily realize. And it's impacting buying behavior. 95, 99% of buying decisions are made in that subconscious rule of thumb brain. That's insane. Right? You're like, <laughs> like what, what am I, what's my brain actually doing? Yeah. Yeah, why am I here? Why do I, <laughs> why do I even exist? So yeah, it's, it's amazing, but knowing how these concepts work. So we are averse to losses. We don't like to lose things. There's a reason that the message is like, act now, don't, you know, don't wait, blah, blah, blah. Like that appeals to our brain because it's like a small child. If you, um, you know, 
and you listen, you have kids. And I know where my son could be sitting in the playroom with every toy known to man surrounding him. And he's only playing with one. And my daughter will come up and grab something off the periphery. It's like, oh no, that was my favorite toy. I was just going to play with it. You can't possibly take it away. You know, our subconscious brains are doing that all the time. <laughs> they basically are like small children um, or the seagulls from Finding Nemo in that case where uh-huh. they are making these choices and you know, our conscious brain says, tries to make them be more logical and civilized, but you know, that's what's happening all the time. So, yeah, that's probably why I said 80 is because I deal with a three-year-old that's, she's like my wild child and probably every person's inner child. (laughs) That's how all of our subconscious brains are like that scanning the world all the time. The, the other thing I like to help for people to really understand the gravity of this is your, if you were to think your brain, like a computer, which a lot of people like to make that comparison, your subconscious brain can do approximately 11 million bits of information per second that it's processing with visuals and smells, all sorts of things coming in. Your conscious brain can do about 40. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Not 40,000, right? Just 40 (laughs) period, the end, that's it. Compared to 11 million. And so that's where your subconscious is so fast and quickly making choices and it's very slow and cumbersome. Like if you think about uh, driving a car now, it was really hard when you learned to drive a car, but now you're able to just sort of, you know, be listening to the radio, listening to a podcast, talking to somebody, and you can just be doing all these things. Your subconscious has rules for it until maybe you're between a semi-truck and a guardrail and it's really raining heavily and you go, oh my gosh, (laughs) you feel like the whole world slowed down around you. That's because your conscious brain is taking over from something that your subconscious is used to doing. Yeah. That makes complete sense now. So let's talk about a little bit more about the website stuff. I'm so curious about that. Like, What have you seen that people will do, let's say, in placement or pricing or whatever that you recommend all product bosses do for their products? So in general, and I have an episode of my podcast that is called The Top 5 Wording Mistakes Businesses Make, which I would highly recommend for the audience in general. And it is one, it just kind of goes into these top things that I see all the time for product businesses, services, but you know, we get, we put way too much out there. That's the number one thing. People, you want to say everything you can possibly say about a thing, all the stuff they might need to know. And it's just overwhelming. Our brains get overwhelmed really quickly and you don't have a clear enough direction for where someone is supposed to go. So the thing I work with all of my clients on is saying, if you, if your person, someone who's here, they've gotten to whatever the pages they're doing, what do you want them to do? What's the number one? If you only get one thing that you're asking them to do, what's it going to be? And then you have to put all the eggs in that particular basket. You know, they can look around and find some other things or or whatnot, but if you, you have to be targeting just one item that they're really needing to focus on to help them get to that point. And again, that the, the heading, you know, the header, the topic, the title of your product that you're putting on there needs to be beneficially descriptive, not just SEO descriptive for you. And knowing that it's appealing, uh, being able to have targets like most popular with an arrow pointing at something or big stars around it may seem like it's silly and that we don't need to do that. But people need that information. And I would say the last little blip there for product businesses in general too is you need really good images, really, really good images. 
So let's talk about that because I think that's something you were, you were, we were talking about in the pre-call was basically images like that essence of when somebody's with a product in person and they get to touch it and feel it and experience it versus something online. And a lot of our listeners sell their product online to their customers. So would you mind jumping into that a bit more for us? Yeah. So one really amazing thing that's been found in studies is that our brains can, when we see a texture, and this was done with fabric specifically in a study, that seeing a texture as to whether something is looks rough or soft or ribbed or you know whatever it is, our brain can see that and it recognizes it as if you are touching it, even when you're not. There's more impact or benefit when you actually can touch something, your brain responds to that more. But our brain uses mirror neurons to be able to experience what that is like based on our past experience and or based on if someone else is touching something and smiling or happy, you know, that can evoke our sense of what it would be like to touch the item. And so if you can showcase that something is really smooth or shiny, like cars, right? When you see ads for cars, you can tell it's shiny, it's smooth. You know what that feels like, even though you're not touching it or something that's made with like Berber fleece or a really soft jacket or whatever. You, you can tell what that leather couch feels like and your brain reacts as if you're actually holding the item. If you have a good enough photo. I would imagine it would make people want to buy more if they could sense that extra layer of touch. It does. It actually is more likely to trigger perceived ownership, which is that seagull, you know, that's mine sort of a a sensation, which leads to loss aversion of you want to have that item and you don't want to give it up. I think a really good example of a video or or watching something like this happen is like QVC and HSN when people are like, all they do is touch it and stroke it and hold it and talk about it. But their hands, yeah, their hands are always on it. So if you want to really see what that's, that's how they sell to you virtually, ultimately the first way, Right. right? And you also want to look at where their eyes are looking right? Where they're, if they're pointing or looking. So if you go and look at any of the stuff I put on social media or episodes of my podcast, I have a lot of photos where I'm looking up and or pointing at a spot or, you know, you have an arrow I'm holding an arrow pointing at something and that's where the words are. That's where I want you to look. And so what, where a person's eyes, if you have someone in your ad, wherever their eyes are, we are trained as humans to look where they're looking. So you want to make sure that their eyes are pointed in the right way. And it's also really important to know that our brains, so back to Texas A&M, their study, it brings in um, 600 data points per second. And it was looking at things like pupil dilation, distance from the screen, if I have a look of joy or surprise or disgust. And it's doing these ticks, you know, every second as to what I'm doing. And so our brains can very, very, very subtly pick up on, you know, if my nose kind of crinkles like this, even if I'm smiling, right, this looks like more painful. And I know that we're just here in this <laughs> space, but, you know, a disgust face, like a Mr. Yuck with a crinkled nose could be triggering something that you don't even realize that they're, if their cheeks aren't raised enough, we can tell they're not really smiling in a picture that it's a model. So using images that very clearly make you want to smile when you look at them, you can tell that person's happy is going to be doing the right thing for you. And the wrong, an image can go wrong really fast. I'm going to try this on my three-year-old. You know how many times I have to say, look at my finger, look at my finger. Where's mama pointing? Where's mama pointing? I need to do like look of disgust or look (laughs) of surprise and change it up 
and see how <laughs> or she... Or use your eyes to look in the where you're pointing to, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of looking at her, I'm sure it's very confusing. Well, that's... We are, we are hurting animals. And so that's... There are also studies done. So if somebody's standing on a corner and just looking up... So if you, if you walk by and I'm just happened to be looking up in the sky, you probably oh, come okay. by and go, hmm? what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> or if you go into the elevator and someone's facing the back, studies actually show that other people that come in the elevator, if there's a group of people that are all facing the back, they'll turn and face the other way too. <laughs> I love it. Don't be sheep people. <laughs> no, don't do it. Don't do it. So um, get a lot of people that ask about like, how should we structure a sale? Should it be buy one, get one? Should it be, you've mentioned like the 97 versus the 99. Can you speak a little bit on phrasing of those types of sales and things like that? And absolutely. So in general, and I know with products, you do a lot more sales than service-based businesses and that's okay. But in general, the advice that I give is if you're putting something on sale, you want to use that really strategically. Make sure the re- there's a reason you're putting something on a sale and not just using it as a crutch because you don't feel comfortable enough with your full price. Like if you just raise your prices and then you put everything on a discount... <laughs> So that it's still the same price, but it feels better to you. You know, that is um, not something you want to use as a tactic. The, The numbers that you use really matter. And I have an entire episode talking about the power of numbers, which gets into that pricing question as well. When you want something to be appearing as bigger. So in, in price tags, it it tends to be general where somebody would put, you know, the old price small and like the new price in, in bigger font, right? So you'd say it was, $29 $29 or $30 and now it's only $19.99 and you would put the $19.99 really big. Our brains have actually been shown that we relate size to size, including dollar amounts. So having the smaller price be in a bigger font actually makes it to where it's less likely to lead to sales than if you were to reverse it and have that the old price that's crossed out bigger and that the new price be smaller, which seems counterintuitive, but it's been shown, especially in like sticker uh, price tags to to have a difference in getting people to buy. So that is one thing. I think bundles are really great, especially when you're able to say, most people like you get this. This is getting into that herding behavior again. So because we are herding animals, saying like, this is most popular, this is what people do, you should get this. Um, it feels maybe like you're sort of encroaching, but people need that sort of advice. Uh, And that's where anytime you can do a hundred percent guarantee, maybe you uh, do a hundred percent, you know, return policy, uh, free shipping, those sorts of things to get something in someone's hand. Once they touch it again, they're more likely to have that perceived ownership. They're less likely to send it back. And I think it's with a hundred percent guarantees, the amount of people that actually take advantage of that and want to send something back is so nominal. It's worth getting the item to somebody when you can. It could be something like, we guarantee that you'll love it or else, da, da, da. Because right. sometimes it's hard to guarantee, you know, certain products pass a certain life point. Right. It depends on what you're selling. And it could be a 30-day guarantee. Right? Yeah. Not that I guarantee that, you know, 10 years from now, that makeup's still going to be good, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's more... We actually have a dog harness that my husband bought specifically because our dog bites through his harnesses. And it's had a... 100% like guarantee lifetime thing where um, we could get a new replacement if your dog chews through it. My dog chewed right. through it. 
I mean, it's taken us like maybe two months to still like call them about it. But the fact that we had that makes us then say, okay, if they're going to replace it, then we're going to probably continuously buy this one dog harness. Right. Well, and that's the thing, you know, you can. And then if you don't take advantage of that, you don't blame them. You blame you. You still like them. You still think they're doing a really good thing. They offered a really good service. You just didn't take advantage of it. 100%. 100%. Or your husband in it. Right. Well, <laughs> but I mean, there's a lot of things with young kids and young dogs yeah. that we've signed. Like we got a couch and then we paid extra because it's like they will always come and do stain removal. Mm-hmm. So when my son eats blueberries on the couch, but you're right. It's not like the couch sucks or didn't have the right repellent on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that I that we let our kid eat blueberries on it and now we have to go. They'll do right. it for us. We just have to contact them. Right. Yeah. But if you didn't have the option to call them, you would potentially still be mad at them, right? Why didn't they make a better product? They should know that people have kids that are going to stain or that dogs are going to do whatever. But when that little reminder is there that you can call, they've said they'll take anything back, then it's it's on you. It's it's your choice to know. And so perfect example is that I also have another couch from another place and it's pilling. So it's not necessarily our fault, but you're sitting on it and it's like starting to pill and get little bumps. And I'm like, and I am, I'm upset with them. I actually have not bought a single thing more from them because I'm, I'm upset with like the quality, even though I got a whole bunch of other things that I was happy with. I'm like, mm-hmm. they're not going to take a couch back because it's pilling. It's my fault that I bought from a crazy place. It's right. my opinion. So there and it is. You never re- and you never actually tried to call and ask, right? No, (laughs) I just have this opinion of them. Right. And now this is coloring your entire opinion of their brand. They have no idea why you changed your mind. And potentially now we're just that we're talking about it. You're articulating it, but you wouldn't have told them that on a survey or whatever it is. Right. You would have said, no, no, it's fine. Just go away. Right. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) I'm mad at you. Um, I think also most websites show by bestseller. I use that as like a gauge of if it's bestselling, there's other people that had that called and made this better for me. So I don't have to call now that it's like a thousand reviews in because I don't like to call people. So I just stick with those because I'm like, okay, this has been through the ringer and it's bestselling. So here's what I'm going to go with. And I think that's a little mental shift too. Right. And it has five stars or four and a half stars. And Mm -hmm. that's where if you are able to show those customer reviews that other people have done this, other people have been here. I promise you're not the first. And when you are having more and can say 10,000 people have reviewed in like this or a thousand or 500, it doesn't have to be such a huge number. But as you get that sort of scale, that's where people feel comfort in that. Even if those people, we assume that the others in the species know better than us. And so we're more likely to eat at a restaurant with a really long line if we're in a new city than one that's completely empty, even if we don't like that type of food. We, we just assume there's something good about this restaurant and this one's bad because nobody's here yet. So showing that other people are already on the train and they like being there and you're going to like it too, you know, come join us. It's great over here. It's easier for our brains to take that leap when you think someone's done it, even though maybe they all ha- just have really bad taste or maybe they, you know, are eating a food that you don't like, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Our brains aren't that logical. <laughs> so I have a client and her competitor who she's going up against whatever has this one bra um, on their, on their site that they're like, we have a 7,000 person wait list. I don't know how you get 7,000 people on a wait list for this bra, but we have a 7,000 person wait list. And you say that and she's like, oh my God, 
Like this is the bra. Everybody wants this bra. You need to get on the wait list too. And I honestly have no idea. That's a gigantic mailing list. But just that. And now she also and all of us are like, they must be like legit, like leading leading the world in what they're making. And we have no idea about the back end of their business. We have no idea about anything. But the fact that they've said 7,000 other people want this one bra everybody else is going to want that bra. Like forget all the others, right? So even, I guess, how would somebody use... So when you're on a website, like maybe reviews, you know, there's the Amazon way and there's Etsy where people have reviews and comments and stuff. But some of our sites don't, our e-commerce sites are not classier, but they don't necessarily have these like review sections to it. How else could you use that sort of like herd mentality to get people to pay attention to that product or to want to buy it? Uh, video is really useful if you can have something that does it does it has some reviews or somebody using it or um, you know look at other the things that pop up in your social media that make you stop try to think about what it is that's making you look at that thing where they use sometimes they use emojis and really words that seem kind of dumb but it's it's attractive to the way that our subconscious brain looks at things. This is another opportunity where you want to really shorten the amount of words that you're using. I use, I have testimonials, quote unquote, on my website, but they're very um, generic and I have them on my speaker sheet too, to where they, I look at it like a movie trailer is what I told the designers I was working with on this, to where I wanted to just say, fantastic, terrific, my new favorite podcast, amazing, (laughs) great speaker. They're not attributed to anybody unless Oprah, you know, Oprah, if you want to give me a review, I'm going to put that that's from you. But other than that, it's about the words and somebody being able to relate to it versus, you know, Susie Q says, Melina was great to work with because blah, blah. You know, I can pull out the word great. Great. Melina's great. That's all that you need. And you're more likely to pick up on those little terms and having multiple sort of quotes um, than you are a big paragraph of stuff. And you don't, I know we feel like we owe something to the person that wrote the review to put the whole thing and to showcase them and whatnot. But really what's going to be most useful is just the little, the little nugget. And you can get three or four from one review, but it's about those really great terms that are going to be helpful for you to show other people have been here before. Samina, you could just take all of my intros to you and just pull all the words. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. Genius. Genius. Wonderful. (laughs) Mina is... And then they'll be like, oh, but this doesn't pertain to low labels. <laughs> but you are. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. It it product though. That's the whole thing. That's where this is all about framing, which is a concept I talk about a lot. And that's, it, it really comes into, so you had asked about pricing a little bit earlier. Essentially, the thing that I teach about pricing, and this is the thing with that bra, with all these different items, pricing, here's the truth. Pricing is never about price, ever. It's about everything that happens before you get to the price, whether it's in person, on the phone, on a video, on a website, all the stuff leading up to the price is what matters more than the price itself or the product itself. There's a reason that the pet rock made a million dollars. There's a reason that Snuggies get sold. All these things uh, for $30 for a piece of fleece you could buy for $2 at the store. It's, It's all these other things that make the difference in our brains. Our subconscious buys and then convinces, once we hear the price, it'll try to logic the conscious brain into getting it. That's that's how our brains buy. 
And I tend to consult my uh, designer consulting co-op clients, the fashion clients that I want them to look like they're a million dollar business, even if it's still just them. So I don't want it to feel like hodgepodge put together, like crappy site, poor pictures. If it looks legit, people are more willing to give you $150 for a pair of leggings versus if even if the leggings are the best quality you've ever seen, if the pictures aren't there, if the website's not there, if the brand identity isn't there, why? You know, it's it's that perception of it. You just to call it another podcast episode of yours because I am like people have said I sound like a fangirl on some other episodes, but this is my fangirl moment. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) You have that because I think I love this stuff, like this information. Um, The episode that you have on Beanie Babies, I was like, Mm -hmm. it was so enjoyable, but it was that same idea, like these $5 Beanie Babies. And then the perception that I think you said people blew hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. This was, so it was my episode on economic booms and busts and how they happen and why we keep getting stuck in these over and over, whether it's cryptocurrency, tulip bulbs, or beanie babies. And there was an actor on, from all my children that invested his children. He thought it was going to get his kids, his four kids through college. He bought, I think a hundred thousand dollars worth of beanie babies that he still has. He still has over 20,000 beanie babies in his house, which is crazy because the market fell, right? Crashed. But again, you know, other people jumping on the train, talking about the thing, that's where you get a Kardashian to wear your leggings and everybody wants them, right? It's Mm -hmm. nothing changed. They're still exactly the same, but it's this perspective. It's the way that our brain thinks I want that. There, you know, 7,000 people must know something I don't know. I'm going to get on the waiting list for that thing. And hopefully it's not, you know, garbage when it shows up at, at the house. You know, you just don't, you don't know what you're, what you're going to be getting into. But if everyone else is doing it, you want to jump on the train too. So Mina, I have a really good question for you. Unless you have a, so here's my question. Cause this is a, this is going to lead into Melina. And it's a question that we ask you at the end of the podcast, but Mina, yes. iced coffee or hot coffee? Oh, hot coffee, 100%. Okay, I'm hot coffee too. So, Melina, (laughs) please tell us about ourselves. (laughs) So, that is from the episode on priming. And there was a study that was done where somebody was going into the research facility to do a study. What they didn't realize on the way there, they bumped into somebody who was juggling way too many papers and things. And then that person said, Hey, can, Oh, can you just hold this for a second and handed them their coffee drink while they gathered up their stuff and then kept walking. And this person thinks it's got nothing to do with it. They're just walking to the research lab, bumped into somebody, no big deal. The people who, it was actually the research assistant that bumped into them, half of the people were handed an iced coffee and the other half were handed a hot coffee to hold just for a second before they went in. And then their task was rating their feelings about a person. Like they read about somebody and then were to say what they thought. The people who held the iced coffee were more likely to rate the person as being cold and difficult and stodgy and all these different things. Whereas you perceived other people as warm, if you had held the hot coffee, even though it was completely unrelated and something that had happened outside the research facility, totally not there because our brains prime and make these really 
silly associations. Same being, you know, if you were in a room and there was a backpack versus a briefcase, you were more likely to either be really cooperative if there was a backpack on the table versus being combative if there was a briefcase on the table. Like really weird. Crazy. So mental note, hand out a bunch of hot coffees before we go into a presentation that we're going to sell masterminds at. Hot coffees for everybody. (laughs) Actually, we just have to walk in with hot coffees. Like we just have to be holding our warm. Everyone, we got this for you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't have a difficult conversation when someone's drinking an iced coffee, maybe. (laughs) But these are just things like, you know, oftentimes clients are like, what am I doing on Instagram? How do I do stories? Um, if they're gonna do a live and talk about their product. And so all of this, and I know they should really just listen to your podcast, but all of this is like what's behind you? Like what what's that perception? What the photo should look like. Um, if you're going to do something and you're going to sit there sipping a hot coffee, having a chat, it's like, oh, she's relatable versus if it's an iced coffee, you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this one. So, um, what's the look on your face? It's this everything matters, which is what I talk with, you know, my clients about and on the podcast and, and what it is. And I do, like you've said, you know, I do that one-on-one. If you, you listen to the podcast and you love it and you think, I know that I want to do this, but I don't know how to do it. You know, that's where I work with, with clients on that sort of thing. But hopefully there are enough tips in there for most people, but just assume everything, everything is doing something because remember (laughs) the subconscious is taking in 11 million bits of information per second. There's a lot, you know, the, the picture's worth a thousand words, a video is worth a heck of a lot more and it's impacting the decision they're going to make. And they might not be able to articulate to you why they like you, why they don't, but their subconscious knows. And it could be from something that happened a long time ago. It could be because the couch is pilling and they're never going to tell you about it. And the first impression and the most recent have the most weight. So it's really important to be strategic when you put something out there at the beginning. And it'll take a long time (laughs) to, to overcome if you did sort of a faux pas at the beginning. Amazing. So if you listen to the podcast, you will have heard us ask these questions. One of them is a coffee question. Um, It's actually our first one. So answer it well, whatever comes to your top of mind. So what is your coffee order, Melina? Uh, In my dreams, it's still chai tea lattes, but (laughs) we're paleo now, so I'm not having sugar. (laughs) Yeah, or dairy. Very sad. So in my dreams, it's chai tea lattes. (laughs) Okay. Um, What is the favorite thing on your desk? My gold octopus. I had found it right before we moved here and I was going full time and it was just this sign because octopus is my favorite animal. Weird. We have a whole conversation to have with you after this, but yeah. I thought you were going to point to your purple brain. But... I know, brain's over there. Brain, brain matters too. <laughs> brain matters too. He's not on my desk. Finish the sentence. When I pick up my phone, I... Check Facebook. <laughs> you go to Facebook first. <laughs> yeah, it was always podcast stats and now I, I do that a little bit less, but... And then um, you wish you knew how to speak all the languages, all of them. And then what was the last show you binge watched? We've been watching White Collar, which is kind of an old show oh, from, from USA. My husband also had watched Suits and was trying to get me to watch that and Billions and all these other shows. So if you were to hand out a business card, what should the title on your business card actually say? I guess the brainiest or, you know, brain guru or something, brain, brain whisperer. Let's do that. (laughs) That's good. I love that. It's like you're, it's like a tarot card reader, but you're like, no, I'm just actually reading you. Um, (laughs) And then you have an alter ego or a stage persona. 
Huh. No, this is it. Okay. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on stages. I, um, so I used to do acting as a kid. I was classically trained as an opera singer and Amazing. I do a lot of public speaking and you know, this is it. This is me all the time. <laughs> and then Mina, you want to ask the last question? Sure. So we often say that entrepreneur years are like dog years. Mm. What would you tell young Melina in her entrepreneurial journey, baby Melina, now that you're all grown up in your entrepreneurial journey. Wow, that's a tough word to say. (laughs) I think I'm still, I feel like I'm still baby Melina in a lot of ways. I'm at least toddler Melina maybe, but the thing I've been telling myself is to um, dream bigger and all the things where I think the cap is, is so far below what's possible. And once I think I've reached the top, there's more. So Melina, tell our listeners how they can um, get in contact with you and find you. Absolutely. So uh, the podcast is just called The Brainy Business and you can find that in any podcast app or or whatnot. You can also go to the website, thebrainybusiness.com. You can find me on all the socials as The Brainy Biz, B-I-Z. Awesome. And And we'll put all that in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) We're like two become one. (laughs) The more we do this, we're like one person. (laughs) I love it. Thanks so much, Melina. We loved having you on here and thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, product bosses, let's make it happen.